The rest of you, I want you to take your Bibles if you have them, or in your uh, digital format Bible. Uh, we want to look at uh, Luke chapter number 11, which is our Bible reading for this week, G52. Can you believe we're more than three quarters of the way through of this year already? And uh, uh, so this is week number 40 out of 52. And this week, our memory verse is Luke chapter 11, verses 9 and 10. And these are the words of Jesus. Verses 9 and 10 of Luke 11 says, So I say unto you, ask, and it shall, or it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. How many believe that there's power in prayer? Amen. Praise God. In Luke chapter 11, we'll read the first um, the first verse here, and then we'll get into our time of study together. Uh, now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Amen. And so tonight we're going to talk about some life lessons with Jesus from uh, Luke chapter number 11. And I'm, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you have an appetite and a desire to study the word of the Lord. Uh, because um, when you study the word of the Lord, it uh, enables us to live victoriously. Because if we are not in the word, then we can't be sure about the will of God. We may think that we feel that something is the will of God or uh, we may even pray about it and feel good about it. Uh, but the reality of knowing the will of God is, is through the word of the Lord. And because the word of God will confirm or um, reveal the things that are within in, uh, in his will. It says it's a mirror. It comes down and it shows us what's right and what's wrong. And so I'm thankful for the word of the Lord tonight. Let's ask God to speak to us. Jesus, pray that you'd speak to us tonight from your word, Lord. Let us understand powerful principles from your word, particularly as it relates to prayer and uh, the other important issues and the subjects that are brought up in this chapter. Pray, Lord God, that we, our ears would be tuned to hear and that our spirits would be alive and awake and ready to receive. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. Amen. You may be seated. And as we continue our uh, conversation on Sundays, we talked about the heartbeat of God. This passage starts out talking about the priority of prayer. In verse 1, the disciples say, John taught his disciples to pray. Please teach us to pray. I think it's interesting that this references John, who was a miracle baby. Everybody say miracle baby. He was born filled with the Holy Ghost in his mother's womb. He was the one who was supernaturally enabled to announce the Messiah. And Jesus said there was no prophet in the kingdom greater than John the Baptist. Yet, in spite of all these advantages, he had to pray. And so the disciples of Jesus didn't ask him, teach us how to preach. He didn't ask, teach us how to perform signs, wonders, and miracles. But he, they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And of course, the greatest argument in this passage of the importance of prayer is the fact that they, were, they had observed Jesus Christ himself praying. And they had heard Jesus and seen Jesus pray over and over again during their time with him. And they wanted to learn his secret to power and wisdom. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. A lot of people interested in a lot of things. But I think the most important thing we should be interested in is how to pray. How to tap into the presence of God. How to gain strength from the presence of the Lord. See, because when we pray, it is a return to the original state of man. Remember, we were created and placed in a garden. Not necessarily you. But your forefather, Adam, was. And a relationship with God and intimacy with God was the purpose that mankind was created in God's image in the first place. 
Throughout the Old Testament, you see people would create an altar, which is a place of connection between man and God. And in times of need, from the very beginning, people would call upon the name of the Lord to get God's attention. And in the garden, Adam's friendship and relationship with God was totally natural. He walked with God and he talked with God because he was made in the image of God. This is one important point that we must realize is we were created exclusively for one thing. We were created for God's pleasure to have a relationship with him. And if you're not fulfilling the purpose of your creation, you're going to be frustrated and something is going to be missing. Something's not going to feel right if you do not have a relationship with God. The most essential part of who we are is wrapped up in our relationship with God. So if we don't have communion with him, then something is missing. And as a result... Anybody who's not connected to God in a meaningful relationship is going to sense an emptiness at the center of themselves that they can't really explain. Something is missing. And they can try to pull everything together to provide meaning for their life, but life does not have meaning. doesn't matter how much money you have. doesn't matter how much notoriety that you have, how much stuff you have how much love of family and friends you enjoy. Life does not have meaning until we discover the purpose for our creation. And that is to have a relationship with God. Now, sometimes we don't think much about it. We cover it over with a lot of things that uh, in life that are substitutes. But every once in a while, you will find yourself longing for a deeper sense of connectedness and union with God. That desire within us is a desire to reclaim the intimacy of the Garden of Eden where man and women walked with God with openness and without shame. See, the Lord left us away back to relationship with him and he scattered bread and nourishment along the pathway of prayer to take us to the place of communion with him. The problem is is that prayer seems like an annoying interruption because of our flesh and our humanity. But somehow, at some point, we fall to our knees. We bow our heads, we fix our attention on God and pray. It may be because of a tragedy in our life. Sometimes we pray when we go through a trial because of heartbreak or grief, because of personal failure or personal defeat, or a sense of loneliness. We then cry out to God. We then finally fall to our knees and cry out to God. And uh, it's hard to explain, but he understands. And we have this sense of him being there for us and connected with us. And when we do cry out to God, when we do lift up our voice to God, suddenly it can be all by ourselves in our car. It can be sitting on a pew in a church. It can be in our house. It could be out in the woods. But when we cry out to God in need, suddenly we find ourselves surrounded by his presence and experience comfort and peace like never before. Anybody thankful that we can call upon the name of the Lord? That he's not so far from us, but he's very, very close. And uh, we've had these experiences. All of us have had experiences sleepless nights where we've sensed a a feeling of foreboding or or burden and then we call upon the name of the lord and we feel it being lifted off of us that's the power of prayer and it's followed by peace on the inside so this is why prayer is important it's about a connection and relationship with god but also god's power flows primarily to people who pray Amen. When you look in the Bible, it's people who pray that have the power of God. Prayer is the effective, effective prayer is the solution to every problem and the provision for every need that we had. I wish we really believed that. Can I say it again? Effective prayer is the solution to all of your problems. 
and it's the provision for every one of your needs. Sometimes we're straining, striving, putting forth effort. The last thing that we do is pray when it actually ought to be the first thing that we do. Amen? Because God's power flows to those that are praying. So you can see the flow of water, a, a mighty river. That's the, that, that represents the power of God. And a tributary is somebody that's connected in prayer. And the power of God is flowing. There's so many examples that we could give you from Scripture of the biblical miracles and how that all of them were attached to prayer. Because the power of God can change circumstances. It can change relationships. The power of God can help us face daily struggles. It can heal problems, both psychological and physical problems. It can heal marriages. It can meet financial needs. God's power can do all of these things. And we access the power of God through prayer. The power of God can handle any kind of difficulty, dilemma, or discouragement. So God's power is available to praying people who are convinced that prayer makes a difference. So we need to pray with faith. We need to call upon God and believe that he hears and that it rewards those that diligently seek him. Because when you start praying and believing something's going to happen, it opens up a channel for the power of God to work in your behalf. There is nothing more important that you can do in your day than spending time talking to the Lord. You know, let's be honest. Sometimes it seems like a waste of time, doesn't it? Well, nobody's willing to, to admit to that. Amen. But sometimes we're thinking of all the important things that we have to do. All the pressing things on our agenda. And prayer seems to be something that's so easy to crowd out. Can you imagine if you had an appointment with the person who had the ability to heal all diseases? They also had financial resources that was unimaginable and they're able to take care of every one of your needs and they happen to love you and like you they just want to hang out and you put off that appointment and you neglect that appointment because of all of these other things that you think are so important see we got to get our heads right because our relationship with God and our connection with God and calling upon the name of the Lord is what taps us in to heaven's resources amen and so it starts out with the priority and the importance of prayer and then jesus gives them the pattern he said unto them verse 2 when ye pray say our father in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone who's indebted to us and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So Jesus gave them a pattern for prayer. And it started out with our Father in heaven, emphasizing the importance of our spiritual relationship with God. He is our Father. Amen? And so the thing about the pattern for prayer, I think it's important for us to understand Jesus was not telling them repeat this prayer but he was giving them a pattern for prayer because if we just memorize and repeat something it's so easy for us to recite words but not really mean them so this is more of a pattern of how it is that we ought to pray but I think it's cool when we look here he says thy kingdom come thy will be done or your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The purpose of prayer is not to get my will done in heaven, but the purpose of prayer is to get God's will done here on earth. Did you get that? Amen. We're not telling God what we want so then we can selfishly enjoy it. The prayer that Jesus taught us to pray is asking God to use us to accomplish what he wants so his name can be glorified. Amen? 
So the question when we pray, is it something that's expanding and strengthening the kingdom? Is the will of God being done? See, let me just go down a little rabbit trail here. Is that all right? Can I go down a rabbit hole now? This is something I'm discovering and learning. Is that a lot of times we misinterpret scripture. Because we read scripture from our Western United States materialistic perspective. You know what our problem is? We're very selfish people. We're very selfish people. And a lot of times we will read, interpret scripture through that framework. But that's not how it was written. It was written to an Eastern mentality that wasn't so selfish and materialistic. Amen. So oftentimes there are things that uh, we study and read in scripture and we take the meaning to our own benefit, not considering that everything that happens is to the glory of God, not to my being wealthy and comfortable and happy. There's a powerful principle we learned at the men's conference. Those of you that were at the Friday night at men's conference, something I'd never thought of before. But in the book of Jeremiah, the, the famous passage that we read over and over again that says, where the Lord says, for I know the plans I have for you uh, to prosper you, not to hurt you, to bring uh, an acceptable end. Well, when we read that scripture, a lot of times we apply it to us personally and say, God has a plan for each and every one of us that's going to be an acceptable end. We're going to be blessed. We're going to be prospered. We're not going to have to suffer. We're not going to have to hurt. But the reality is, look at the world. There are a lot of Christians that never get their stuff. Oh, I know this kind of hurts a little bit, huh? Because we misinterpret that scripture. That scripture was not a scripture to an individual. It was to the Jewish people as a whole. And it was actually written to individuals that were going into exile and would never come out of exile. They would never be able to move back into their homes. Never again. But it was about the Hebrew people as a whole. God has a plan for all of you. Or as we say in Tennessee, all y'all. The plan is for all of us. And the key is God's going to get glory and the church is going to go forward. This is the prayer that has the spirit of Jesus behind it. It's not God, give me, give me, give me, bless me, bless me, bless me. Let me be happy, happy, happy. Let me be comfortable, comfortable, comfortable. It's no, God, let me be a part of your will being done on the earth and your name being glorified on the earth. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. So I went down a rabbit trail. Let me get back on the pathway here. So in order to pray the will of God, we've got to be familiar with the word of God. There's a lot of people who disobey God blatantly and defend it by saying they prayed about it. Mm -hmm. Right. Lots of people say, well, I prayed about it and God's okay with it, so I'm going to leave my spouse. I prayed about it, God's okay with it, so I'm going to do A, B, C, D, all of these things. The reality is, it's not God's will if it contradicts the word of God. Amen. Amen. So you can't go with your feelings You've got to trust in the power of the word of God. So we have to know the word so we can know the will of God. And I want to tell you that our relationship with God is the most fulfilling byproduct of a life of prayer. We come to know God a whole lot better when we slow down to pray and when we also study the word of God. Now, verses five through eight, Jesus tells them a story that emphasizes, as we taught on Sunday, the importance of persistence in prayer. He said unto them, verse five, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come to me in his journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are in or with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Amen. And so Jesus is making a very clear argument here. You want me to sum it up in a sentence? Here's what he's saying. 
He is saying, if persistence finally paid off as a man was beating on the door of a reluctant friend, how much more will persistence bring blessing as we pray to a loving heavenly father? That, that's the summation of the argument that Jesus is making here. And so when we're praying, we're not overcoming God's reluctance. God loves to bless us. But when we pray persistently, when we knock consistently, we are laying hold of God's highest willingness. Persistence in prayer is not an attempt to change God's mind, but to get ourselves to the place where he can trust us with the answer. Wow. Get ourselves to the place where God can trust us when he answers our prayer. And then the promises in verse 9. So I say unto you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, I want to share with you here, a lot of times in our English translation of the Bible, we miss some of the impact. Um, One of the things, when I did study uh, the biblical languages, Greek, in college, Uh, that um, was an important understanding is verb tenses. And uh, the verb tenses here for ask, seek, and knock would better be translated this way. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. For as many as keep on asking, they shall receive. As many as keep on seeking, they shall find. As many as keep on knocking, the door will be opened open to them see it's powerful when you understand the meaning here the bible is saying not everybody that knocks on the door is going to get an answer but those that keep on knocking will get an answer and not everybody that just uh randomly seeks one time is going to find but those that keep on seeking are going to find and the deal is is as we continue to pursue god as we continue to pray as we continue to petition heaven, it is a sign of our faith in God that is ongoing. Because if we didn't believe, then we'd stop. We'd stop knocking if we didn't believe. But when we keep on knocking, it's a sign of our confidence. And so I think the passage is saying here, don't just come to God with midnight emergencies, but keep in constant communion with your father amen keep on knocking pray every day amen what is praying every day it's knocking doesn't that sound like a heartbeat sounds like a heartbeat what is it it's continuous knocking not because he's ignoring us but because we believe that continued knocking gives us the answers continued seeking continued asking amen when we keep on amen we are going to receive the answer to our prayer it's about abiding in him amen the bible says in in john 15 1 it talks about the importance of abiding in Christ. And then in 1 Thessalonians 5:17, what does it say? It says pray without pray without ceasing. What does that mean? Keep on knocking. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Let don't let your prayer life diminish because you didn't get an answer to prayer. Don't turn off the flow because you get distracted, but keep on. I'm praying that the Lord would inspire us to keep on knocking amen to keep on asking and to keep on seeking because that is the key to accessing God's power and presence and if we keep on knocking God is either going to answer us or he's going to show us why he cannot answer at this time amen and then notice in the at the end of this passage it says which of you that's a father if your son asks, notice that the lesson concludes with an emphasis on God as our heavenly father. 
He's not some off in the distance, uncaring, um, disconnected being. But he is our heavenly father. So he knows us and he loves us. So we don't have to fear the answers that he's going to give us as we call upon him and keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking. I got a story. I don't know if I should tell you. She told me not to tell you, but don't tell her I said it, okay? Is that cool? Um, My daughter's hat blew out of the window today on the way to church. And it was her favorite hat. And it blew into the traffic on the 210. And so there's no way to get it, right? Right. There's no way I can get it right. That's what I told her. It's impossible. I said, Dad might have to lose his life out there playing playing Frogger with real cars. And uh, it broke her heart, man. And it broke my heart. And um, I'm going to tell you that from that moment until she went to Life Kids just a few minutes ago, she probably brought it up to me 75 times. (laughs) Hey, Dad, can you go find it? Dad, do they have another one at the store? Just like it, Dad. You know that was a special hat to me had a special meaning. And so over and 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 over again, I didn't get frustrated with her. I love her. I want the best for her. And uh, I guarantee you, some way or another, she's going to get a hat, isn't she? Amen. And so our, he's our heavenly father, and he loves giving good things to us. So when we ask, he's going to. Amen. Just keep asking. You're not going to drive him nuts. You're not going to get him frustrated. Just keep calling upon his name. Continue to ask because he will answer. Amen? Uh, The next portion begins in verse 14. Verses 14 through 28. It's about Jesus and Satan. It says, Jesus was casting out a demon and it was mute. So it was when the demon had gone out that the mute spoke and the multitude marveled. But some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Others, testing him, sought for him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub, And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come. When a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. He who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. So here Jesus Christ is accused after he works a miracle by the doctors of the law and the Pharisees and so forth of casting out this evil spirit by Beelzebub or the Philistine god Baal who they say is the prince of demons. Said you cast him out because you're in union with Satan. And first of all, of course, Jesus refuted that. He said, it's illogical. How could Satan fight against Satan? It'd be a civil war and his kingdom would fall. He said, not only that, but if I'm casting them out with Satan, then that's who your other exorcists among you are using. And they're going to rise up and judge you if you claim that it's Satan that's casting out Satan. And finally, he said, this is an admission of the power that I have. Because you know I couldn't defeat Satan unless I was stronger than him and able to bind him up first of all. So this was the refuting of what they had to say. But I want you to notice the application here as we go to verse 23. This is what we're going to spend a little bit of time on here. 23. He who is not with me is against me and he who does not gather with me scatters. There's no neutrality when it comes to Jesus. No neutrality. You're either scattering or gathering. Amen? You're either with him or against him. There's no neutral 
position. 24, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finding none. He says, I'll return to my house from whence I came. When he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. And it, as it, and it happened as he spake these things that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast which nursed you. And he said, more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Jesus was saying here at the beginning, it's impossible to be neutral in spiritual warfare. You're either with or you're against. You're gathering or you're scattering. So if you claim to be neutral, you're actually standing against him. Satan is involved in scattering and destroying while Jesus is gathering and building. And he uses the story here of the man that had a demon to illustrate the danger of neutrality. Jesus said that this man was possessed with the devil and the demon left. And when the demon left the man, his situation improved greatly. Can I get an amen? You'd be better off without a demon, wouldn't you? But he did not invite Jesus in. He left it empty. Even though he experienced deliverance, he didn't want to commit and allow Jesus in. Because of his neutrality, his vessel was empty and the demon returned with seven demons worse than himself. And his situation ended up worse off than it would have been before. So Jesus was saying, you can't be neutral. You've either got to join or you're part of the resistance. Join up with what I'm doing. You take sides with Jesus. And this lady said from the crowd shouts out, well, blessed is the mother that gave birth to you in, in essence. And Jesus said, well, better than that is blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. When you take sides with Jesus, it's not just speaking things, but it's by hearing and obeying the word of God that you side with Jesus. Verse 29, we're going to look at some opportunities or spiritual opportunities to join with Jesus or be neutral. 29, while the crowds were thickly gathered together, he began to say, this is an evil generation. It seeks a sign and no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so also the son of man will be to this generation. The queen of the south will rise up in judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment uh, with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. So Jesus used three illustrations. I just read two of them. One of the illustrations that he used was the story of Jonah and Nineveh. That was one. The other illustration was Solomon and the queen of Sheba. The third generation is light and eyes. We'll talk about that in just a second, but I want to pause to talk about these two illustrations that Jesus used to illustrate what happens when you don't take advantage of spiritual opportunity. So here's what happened. Jesus said, Jonah came as a sign to the city of Nineveh. And the sign of Jonah was this. He went into the belly of the whale and he came out of the belly of the whale. Jesus said, that's the same sign you're going to have. It's the death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus is going to give to you the same sign that Jonah gave to Nineveh to bring them to a place of repentance. Secondly, he said there was the queen of Sheba. 
the queen of Sheba came a long distance to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And she was amazed by what she saw. And she sat and listened for hours. Here's what Jesus said. There are two people or two groups of people. One's an individual, one's a group that's going to rise up in judgment and testify against you guys, this generation, the people he was talking to, the unbelievers. And they're going to condemn this generation. He said, because Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah. There's a greater preacher than Jonah here today, he was saying. And you haven't repented. Sheba came, the queen of Sheba came from all across the country to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And there's more wisdom than Solomon ever had being displayed today. And you will not listen. He says this, in the day of judgment, these are going to rise up in testimony against you and condemn you. This is something that a long time ago as I was reading this passage, I felt like God gave me a word from this passage many years ago. The idea is there are going to be people in judgment that when you bring your excuses as to why you didn't repent, why you didn't follow Jesus, everybody who's not following Jesus who knows the truth has a good excuse, don't they? But the point is, there are going to be people who had it worse than you, but they repented anyway and followed Jesus. That's what it's saying here. Said, well, all we had was Jesus preaching. Well, there's somebody who all they had was Jonah's preaching. A knock-kneed, nervous prophet who didn't even want to do what what God called him to do. But they repented at the preaching of Jonah and you couldn't even repent at the preaching of Jesus. So as they rise in judgment, they're going to condemn all of the excuses of people who said they couldn't make it, they couldn't repent and they couldn't live for God. All of us have our excuses um, whenever we begin to wander from truth or wander from the Lord. And there are reasons, well, this person hurt my feelings or this happened, or I didn't get this prayer answered, or this terrible tragedy happened in my life. Everybody who walks away from God has an excuse that they think is viable. But the Bible lets us know here that in judgment, there are those that will rise up in judgment that had it worse than you, but they still live for God. They were treated worse than you were treated. Amen. They had a worse situation happen, but they were able to remain faithful to God. So your excuses are going to be condemned just like the excuses of them were going to be condemned by the queen of Sheba and by the uh, uh, men from Nineveh. They had it worse than you and people who can rise in judgment. And then the, the third example is the light here. Verse 33, no one when he has lit a lamp puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand that those who come in may see the light. The lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body is full of light. Or in the King James Version, it says when your eye is single, singleness of eye, your, your, your body is full of light. But when your eye is bad or evil, Your body is full of darkness. Therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, the whole body will be full of light as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. So the last example that Jesus uses here to illustrate this is the light and our eyes the bible teaches that the word of god is the light that shines in to the dark world can i get an amen on that the light of god's word is what shines into this dark world but it's not enough that the light is shining outside the light has to get inside of us 
And so the Bible is teaching here, in a sense, that our eyes are what allows the light of God to shine into our lives, what we're focusing on, what we're looking at, what is important to us is what allows the light of God to shine into our lives. And when we put our trust in the Lord, when we put our trust in Jesus, our eyes are opened and the light shines in and we become children of light. So what are we? We're full of light, right? We become full of light. When we put our trust in Jesus, when we believe in God and the light shines into us, we become the children of light. And in the King James Version, it says it this way. If thy eye be single, if thy eye be single, then your body is full of light. But if your eye be evil, then your body is full of darkness. I believe the passage here is talking about a single outlook of faith. But if we keep one eye on God and the other eye on the things of this world, then the light will turn in to darkness. Remember we said you can't be neutral. You can't serve two masters. It's either one or the other. There's got to be a singleness of focus so that we would be full of light. You can't halfway live for God. Amen. The word of God demands total submission and obedience. Amen. And this truth is illustrated in three different lives in the word of God. One of them is in the life of Samson. Do you know what the word Samson means? The, the, the name Samson actually means sunny or bright, bright and sunny. That's what Samson means. But Samson ended up as a blind slave in a dark dungeon because he yielded to the lust of the flesh. He started out one direction in the light, but ended up in darkness because he was double-minded. Lot is another one in the word of God. Lot began as a pilgrim with his uncle Abraham, who happened to be the father of the covenant. But he ended up, finally, as a drunk in a cave committing incest because of the lust of the eye. He wanted to serve two masters and go two different directions. And King Saul is another one in Scripture. He began as a humble leader, but ended up in a witch's cave and ended up committing suicide on the field of battle because of the pride of life. He wouldn't humble himself and obey God. So Jesus is saying here, he's saying when opportunity comes, when spiritual light comes, you got to stay focused on it. You got to keep knocking. You got to put your hands to the plow and keep your hands to the plow. Because you cannot do both. You can't serve God and this world. You can't keep your things on the, uh, uh, keep your eye on the things of God and another eye on the things of this world. Because this is a temptation that all of us face from time to time is to begin to allow a little of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye and the pride of life to have a little bit of space in our life, but we're still focused on Jesus. But the Bible says if your eye is single, you'll be full of light. But if you have an eye that's evil, it's not going to be half light and half dark. It's full of darkness. You can't pretend. You can't go halfway. Amen? And this is a, a challenge for people. Because we live in this world and this world pulls at us. It gets our attention. And the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life will capture our attention. And we're trying to keep our eyes on the Lord. But we find ourselves being pulled this direction. And uh, we're double-minded or cross-eyed, if you want to call it that. You're looking two different directions. The Bible says... Eventually, the darkness is going to overpower the light. Come on now. 
The power of the light is that light will always overpower darkness. But when you become double-minded, darkness will always overpower light. You can't be double-minded and be victorious. Amen. You cannot, you cannot be neutral in this thing. You've got to stay focused on Jesus. Jesus was saying, you've got an opportunity. You've got a chance uh, to follow after me. And it's important to stay plugged in and connected because we're either controlled by light or by darkness. The sad part is, as Jesus says here, that some people, the Pharisees, he said they couldn't even tell the difference between light and darkness. And they thought they were following the light when in fact they were really in darkness. And then verses 37 through 54, we're not going to read all of this out loud. Simply Jesus addresses the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the doctors of the law. He points out their folly the foolishness of their perspective. Also, he denounces their sins. And at the end, he gets them mad. <laughs> he arouses their anger as he talks about the importance of following truth and not keeping people out of the kingdom because of your own sins and your own issues and washing the outside of the cup while the inside of the cup is unclean. So, to sum up the uh, Luke chapter 11, Jesus addresses several different things. But I think the key message that Jesus Christ is declaring here is stay plugged in. Continue to abide in Christ. Follow after him with all of your heart. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Because if you stay plugged in, if you continue in your relationship with God, then you will be blessed. And don't fall into the trap of trying to live for God and embrace this world at the same time because you're not going to be blessed and you're going to end up being full of darkness. Amen. I want to make it all the way. Does anybody want to make it all the way? I want to serve God with all my heart, mind, and soul and strength. I want the will of God to be done in my life and through my life. I want God to use me. I wonder if we could stand together right now. And if you feel that way, we're going to pray. We're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together. Not word for word, but we're going to use the pattern right now. For just a moment, I want us to acknowledge... Jesus Christ as our heavenly father. I want us to acknowledge his greatness and his closeness and how much he loves us. Can we take a minute right now and in our own way say our father which art in heaven hallowed be thy name. Can we do that Lord Jesus? I love you Lord God. I know that you love me and you're concerned about me and you're a holy God. And there's nobody like you, Lord Jesus. And you're so good to me, Lord, and you bless me so much. And I'm so thankful for your blessings. I thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. Praise God. Praise God. I worship you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now let's pray in our own words this phrase, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're praying right now saying, God, let your will be done in my family for your glory. Let me be used for your purpose in my workplace. God, let your will be done through me. Can we ask him that right now? Jesus, I pray, Lord God, that all the things about me that are hindering you from having your way in my life, Lord Jesus. Let them be removed so that your spirit can flow through me, so that you, Lord God, uh, can have your will in me and through me, Jesus, in my life, uh, 
in my workplace, Lord God, hallelujah, in my family, Jesus, let your will be done. Let your glory be manifest and use me, Lord, for your purpose, uh, I pray in the name of Jesus and let your name be glorified and let your will be done in the name of Jesus Christ, uh, we pray, hallelujah, in the name of Jesus, uh, praise God. Now let's ask God to meet our needs Meet the needs that we have. Some of you need a provisional blessing. Some of you need God to step in and uh, help you financially. Ask him right now. Some of you need transportation. Some of you need housing. Ask him right now. Lord, you know what our needs are, Lord Jesus. Uh, We need this week. We need this day, Lord God. Take care of us. Uh, We pray in the name of Jesus that you would open doors uh, and make a way, Lord God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we pray, Lord God, meet each of our needs. Hallelujah. Now let's ask the Lord to forgive us of our sins. Lord, I pray that you would cleanse me and wash me, Jesus, from my iniquities and my rebellion, Lord God, and my selfishness, Jesus. Wash me and cleanse me right now, Lord God. Let me be right with you, Lord Jesus, Wash me and I'll be white as snow. I plead the blood of the lamb, Lord God. Let me be a person pursuing righteousness in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Give me the grace to forgive those, Lord God. Hallelujah. 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 In the name of Jesus. And finally, let's ask the Lord to lead us, not into temptation, but to deliver us from the evil one. Lord God, order my steps, Lord Jesus. Order my pathway in your word, Lord God. Don't let me fall into a trap of the enemy Lord Jesus but let me be alert Uh, I pray dear God order my steps uh, in your word in the name of Jesus Christ uh, we pray hallelujah in the name of the Lord I know you're going to deliver and I know you're going to make a way in the name of Jesus Uh, oh God we commit our day to you Lord Jesus we commit this week to your purpose Lord use me powerfully Lord God use me for your purpose Jesus Uh, everywhere that I go let your kingdom come on earth uh, and let me be a part of this process and this purpose uh, in the name of Jesus we pray now let's just give him praise for a minute hallelujah before we close down let's just offer him praise and thanksgiving and worship hallelujah 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 in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Praise God. God bless you.